This is Live On Purpose Radio, episode 511, Confidence in Conflict, with Emil Harker. Now is the only time to create and live the life you love. I'm Dr. Paul Jenkins, the positivity psychologist. My job is to connect you to powerful positive psychology principles that immediately upgrade your relationships, business, and mental health. Are you ready? Let's jump in. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Live On Purpose Radio. This is Dr. Paul, the shrink who expands your life with another episode of Live On Purpose Radio. And joining me today is a returning guest. I told him just before we started the episode today that I've only got probably half a dozen people who have returned to the show, and there's always a good reason for it. I'd like you to help me welcome back Emil Harker. Welcome, Emil. <laughs> Thanks, Dr. Paul. It's always awesome because you're just like, like, you just pump out positivity, like a positivity factory. Dude, I'm the positivity shrink. That's right. You make it happen. Well, you know what? I invited you back for a couple of good reasons. Now, we had an episode, how long ago was it, Emil, that you were on the show before? I can't even remember. It was but last you guys, year or something. Or... You guys go look. We did a, a show called You Can Turn Conflict into Closeness. And Emil, that's where we were talking about your first book by that title. Right. And with your experience as a licensed therapist and counselor, you've been working with couples primarily over how to turn their conflicts into closeness. But the interesting thing is that these same principles apply in settings that are not necessarily a marriage or a family or a relationship. But they also apply in business and interactions that we have in other contexts as well. And so right. you've put that now into a new book called Confidence in Conflict. And I'm just I'm right. eager to have a conversation with you about where that came from and what we can learn from it. Well, I've been like, I hate, I have like a love-hate relationship with conflict. Like, I don't mm. like conflict. I, it just, oh, it makes me uncomfortable. I kind of, I shut down or I get angry and I, I, I hate conflict. And since I'm so like conflict averse, I hate it. Mm. I knew that I needed to learn for personally and for my clients. And there weren't really any good books on how to deal with like conflict when conflict happens. Mm -hmm. And so what I wanted to find out, there was a, there's a problem, which, which was there wasn't a lot of good sources to deal with conflict. And I needed to because of my, my own discomfort with conflict. Right. And so I needed to find some solutions for myself and for my clients. So that's what set me on this quest for how to turn conflict into closeness. And that's what mm. my first book was about. Right. Well, then, you know, as I was kind of teaching people this process, there were a lot of people, a few primary ones that were saying, hey, can you come and train my corporate group? Like, we could really use these principles at work. And I'm like, sure. So I would go to their work and I would, you know, teach them the principles. Mm -hmm. But the book that I had was the one with two people holding hands, right? <laughs> and that was just, you know, and so, and although this was several years ago, 
you know, as busy as our schedules are, you know how it is. It's you, you start a book and it takes forever to finish it. So I decided I'm mm-hmm. going to to write this book on on conflict in the workplace, and I wanted it, people to be confident in it. And if they had the skills and the abilities, then then they would t- take those moments where they would normally break down and they would turn them into breakthroughs. And so that's what I saw yeah. over and over and over again. People right there on the cusp of somebody like saying something that's not going to be good when they when they take that moment and they use it as a bonding experience, like, hey, I'm going to be vulnerable here and I'm going to lean into it instead of like pull away and hide, yeah. boom, breakthrough. And people needed the, the tools to be able to do that. Right. Because when you're in that moment, it's really hard to be calm and put together. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and so what I did, and this is after I wrote the first book, is I really did a deep dive into why we hijack ourselves. Like, why mm. do we allow ourselves to hijack ourselves? Because we'll be in a situation, we're having a conversation, and we'll have like this out-of-body experience that says, now remember, Emil, use the tools, use the principles. And there's another part of me while I'm in the conversation saying, don't use those tools. Bail on the tools, go for the jugular. Or <laughs> it ain't worth it. Just shut down and just walk away. Yep. So I've got these voices in my head in that moment. And I was thinking, why do sometimes people not stay engaged in the conversation? Right. And it's super important. They they turn it all sideways and it turns into a big train wreck. Yeah. And it's this this insecurity. So one of the the chapters in the book, the confidence in conflict book, I put those lessons, that that understanding of how our insecurities sabotage us. Cuz if yeah. we understand our insecurities. And I like to think of insecurities as these little gremlins that live in the back of our mind that try to consult us. Mm. They're like these consultants that are very like low IQ. They're all about, you know, self-preservation, you know, run, yeah. get mad. And those come from these, these primal needs to maintain status. And status is this, this idea that we have access to resources that make our lives enjoyable and comfortable. And when there's a perceived threat to our status, yes. we go into fight or flight mode. That's right. And that's how we get hijacked. And so I wanted to make sure that I included that understanding in the book so that when people have that understanding, it makes it a little bit easier for them to lean into the discomfort that their impulse is trying to make them run away from. Right. And now, instead of responding out of a passion moment of fear, we lean into it with a motivation based on principle. And we now reduce the insecurities. And the opposite of insecurity is security. And who doesn't want more security? <laughs> so I added that chapter in in the in the book in the new one what you're talking about is spot on and as a psychologist i'm over here thinking yeah 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 because i know that our brain has two primary re- responsibilities to keep us safe right and to prove us right and they both get in our way as yep. you know 
Yeah. Uh, so what you're describing here, your brain is doing exactly what it's supposed to do. Those little gremlins, those little voices that jump in and say, no, run like heck or put up your dukes and fight. Right, you don't have to it. put up with this. That That's your brain trying to keep you safe. Yep. But the problem is your brain can't discern between a real actual threat, like a bear wanting to eat you for lunch. Right. Versus a perceived threat. It's all the same thing to your right. brain. And especially you think we think logically, like our spouses or the people that are the most important people in our lives, they really do want what's best for us. And so we just haven't evolved enough to uh, you know, alter our fight or flight responses and recalibrate them to like you were saying, real threat, fake perceived, you know, fake threat. We're, we don't need to run away or duke it out with our partner. Okay, we literally can go, oh, there's a misunderstanding here. This is a moment of bonding. Let's lean into it. And so at work, we're less concerned about bonding, but we do need closeness and connection and trust so that we can be vulnerable. Because if we trust the process, then then teams and groups enjoy working together. There's a safe place for them to really stretch and then in that that moment, that pinnacle moment of vulnerability and stretching, instead of it collapsing on itself as a breakdown, it levels up like quantum changes breakthrough. And in corporate groups, mm. in teams, that's what we want. We want more breakthroughs, more productivity, happier employees that love going to work and being a part of that team. And that's what the whole goal of the whole book is. That's the essence of having the confidence in the conflict. That's and right. I'm, I'm guessing, Emil, see if this matches your experience, because I think anytime we bring two different people together and just multiply that by whatever factors there are, if you bring five people together on a team or 20 people in an organization or whatever, okay? Right. But anytime family. you bring two or family, yeah. Uh, two different people together, you will have conflict. Yep. And and that's not a bad thing. Right. Because it comes from differences, you know, difference of opinion and different experiences and sometimes different genders or races right. or whatever. Okay. And those differences make us relevant and interesting to each other. Yes. Because if we're all exactly the same, then most of us are unnecessary. Yeah. And it's the differences, right, that make us relevant right. and interesting. So, But it also creates conflict. Right. So what I'm hearing from you, it's, it's kind of like what I heard from John Gottman years ago. This isn't a bad thing. It's what are we going to do with it? Right. And as right. we do more of what works and less of what doesn't, we have much better outcomes. Right. And that that idea about diversity, you know, differences. Yeah. Right. There's a sociopolitical push for diversity in corporate and organizations. And it's not really about growth. It's not really about like productivity. It's about like equality, fairness. And although mm -hmm. that's a wonderful and great thing, what I'm what I if we're not equipped to deal with these 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 different perspectives and opinions 
then what we're going to have is more conflict that's destructive instead of constructive. Mm. But with the tools, it's like we're injecting corporations with the potential of really amazing things if they take the time to learn how to manage those differences in a productive way. Right. It's productive and constructive, we have breakthroughs. If we have all this diversity and differences and we don't have the tools, what's going to happen is there's going to be a breakdown in the system. And that's just going to, it, all this diversity yeah. will backfire. And so we either take advantage of this opportunity to really grow as a society, as communities, as, as people, organizations, and take this diversity and grow because like you were saying, yeah, if everybody was the same, then there's too many of us. But if there's enough yeah. change then that, or enough diversity, then that perpetuates positive growth. And when positive growth happens with one part, it elevates the group. And right. so it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's like a moral, ethical responsibility to embrace the diversity with with vulnerability and love sensitivity and then with the tools we plug in now we can actually move the dial a bit instead of just because right. let's say i've got diversity in an organization without the tools mm -hmm. diversity in organization is compartmentalization we have a breakup into little teams and groups within a team these yeah. two people don't talk to these two people because they have difference of opinions. And these people, so what happens is there's a breakdown in the system. Mm -hmm. So if we have the, the tools and there's, there's a, a process to use those tools, then the diversity is like more, more to, like an endless supply of ideas. Right. So yeah. that's... It, Emil, we don't obviously have time to get into all of the tools here, but I'm, I'm feeling that having access to at least a few of them sure. is going to be just so valuable. And I, I can almost predict where you're going to go with this, but let's start with <laughs> where do we start? Okay, well, give us a tool. We've we, we just been talking a lot about the framework. Okay, so we have to have yeah. a framework. Then if I compartmentalize it into two different sections, there's, there's three or four, but let's say I yeah. put them in a two. One needs to be, how do I bring things up? How do I, if I have an idea or if I want to challenge somebody, how do I bring something up? How do I share my perspective or opinion? Yep. In the dichotomy of relational interaction, the dynamics of interactions, there's this phenomenon that's natural. And that is if I choose part a, person B chooses part B. And so there's automatic conflict, okay? I yeah. think this is a good idea. The other person's going to talk about how their idea is good. So there's these four steps. And for your listeners, this tool, if they can do these four steps, they can literally complain to people, like complain to people specific about their behaviors. Mm -hmm. And instead of the other person getting defensive, it's almost like they're saying, thank you. Like, wouldn't it be nice <laughs> with a teenager or a child 
or employer or employee or teammate or supervisor where you get to complain, right? They hear you out and say, thank you, instead of getting defensive. So knowing that there's the natural tendency for people's insecurities to be provoked when there is a complaint, we're going to hijack it. So these are the four steps of complaining. Okay. You'll remember the first one because it's been around since 1973. Okay. And that is the I statement. Okay. We all know the I statement. I feel when you because. Now, some people have taken that and said, well, I'm going to throw my own little flair on there. And there's a lot of like organizations out there that say, I feel when you because they say their I statement and then they make a request. Will you please mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And I hate that. I got to be honest with you. I hate that because that's not a dialogue. That's a monologue. All right? Right. I need dialogue. I need connectivity. Otherwise, the other person's not going to have any buy-in. Mm-hmm. So, I share my feelings and story. That's step one. What are my reasons for why I feel the way I do? I feel disappointed. I feel hurt. I feel frustrated. Now, when I do number one, I have to lean into the vulnerability of it. Do I feel insignificant? Do I feel small? Do I feel unheard, invisible? Do I feel hurt, um, mis, uh, misunderstood? So I'm going to use vulnerability words instead of angry, mad, upset. because Which are more are, secondary emotions. Right? right. And people get defensive when those things are being said to them. But right. when people are vulnerable, there's an impulse to understand and rescue the vulnerable. I can mm-hmm. connect with vulnerability. I defend myself from attacks. Right. So I share number one with vulnerability. Number two, super easy. A transition statement. A transition statement is a transition from my feelings and story to their feelings and story. So it's a one-liner. But if I put myself in your shoes, or uh, if I take a step back, or if I look at it from your point of view, or if I look at it from a different angle. That's so brilliant. Just a one step because that it begins to hijack their defensiveness because they're thinking, but I, but when you say something like, but if I put myself in your shoes, it makes them go, you're going to see it from my point of view. I better pause. So then you do. So number two is, but if I put myself in your shoes, Mm-hmm. Then number three, you put yourself in their shoes. Why do they do what they do and say what they say and feel the way they feel? And I'm their attorney. I'm defending them. I'm not saying it's okay. I'm saying I understand you. Okay, then the fourth thing is I check in. Am I close? What am I missing? All right? So let's yeah. say I have, I'm going to give you an example real quick and I'll make it up on the fly. Um, let's say I've got a, an employee, right, that hasn't mm-hmm. followed through with the thing that I asked him to do. They were supposed to hand me in uh, their numbers for their sales report, okay? Now, most of the time, I just say my piece and I just drop it on them like a hand grenade and then I walk away because I'm really frustrated. But if I say, go to my uh, employee that hasn't turned in their numbers, I'll say, hey, um, hey, Jeff, I noticed that you haven't turned in your, your 
uh, numbers and the paperwork. And, and I've sent out two emails making sure that everyone knew that this was a very important thing. And, and this is like the second time this hasn't, you haven't turned in your numbers. And I'm starting to kind of get the feeling that it's not important to you. Like you're, this isn't a big deal. And I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm hurt. I'm offended. I'm, I'm disappointed that you haven't followed through with that, those assignments. That's number one. Number two. That's number one. But if I put myself in your shoes, okay? Now I really put myself in that person's shoes, okay? Number three, I put myself in their shoes. You're probably thinking, you know what? There's no point in these numbers. Like, it's kind of like your way of saying, why are we so focused on these numbers when really what's important is the sales? And you're tired of having to jump through these hoops over and over again by you know, managers and stuff like that. And you're just trying to find, you're trying to just say, you're just not supporting this whole idea of all of these stupid reports. If you're productive and you do yourselves, you should just be okay with that. I don't have to be right, but I have No, but you're taking a shot. I'm doing my best job I can, okay? Because there could be totally different reasons. Yeah. That's why I check in number four. Am I close? What am I missing? Now he can say, well, yeah, I mean, I've already exceeded all my expectations for my goals. I'm the number two sales guy here. Why do I need to have someone babysit me when I'm doing my job? This is distracting me from my work. Now, as soon as they begin talking, as soon as I'm done complaining, they only have four options. That's their response is going to be a criticism, a question, a declaration, or a command. That's all they've got. Now, this doesn't solve the problem. This begins the solution of the problem because a solution is a resolution, a commitment that I make to make changes. I can't make a solution or a resolution if I don't understand the situation. So by starting the dialogue, I'm getting a response from the other person saying, no, that's not it. Or yes, that's it. And they really emphasize it. Whatever they say, it's going to be a criticism, question, declaration, or command. And I'm already mm. leaning into it. And so I'm totally prepared for it. I know it's going to be one of those four. Now, he could say something like, you know what? That's right. Well, that doesn't make it okay. Then I'm going to say, so what are we going to do about this? How are we going to work through this? What are we, what's the solution going to be? Because we got to solve this thing. I've got Carl on me who expects those numbers because those numbers are what we use to determine policies, procedures, you know, what practices we need to right. use. So how are we going to work through this? And then we work toward a resolution, which I'm not going to talk about this time, but that's mm -hmm. like chapter seven or something. Yeah. But if they get upset, frustrated, disappointed, okay, because they don't like this, then they're going to make a criticism, which is a statement about you or your behavior. They're going to ask a question to get more information. They're going to make a declaration about how they feel about the situation, or they're going to issue a command. In the little scenario I did, he did a declaration. I'm sick and tired. I don't have to do this. This is ridiculous. He's either talking about himself or the situation. Mm -hmm. If we get a criticism, we agree with what's true. Nothing more, nothing less. That's the hardest <laughs> one to do, by the way. That's tough. Yeah. Yeah.
Because our brain's trying to keep us safe and prove us right. That's right. It's like, oh, defend yourself, defend yourself. <laughs> but we're leaning into it. And we already know what he's going to do. If he's a criticism, we agree with what's true. Nothing more, nothing less. Yeah. If it's a question, and they're mostly reasonable, we answer the question. If they're not mostly reasonable, <clears throat> then what we do is we ask if they really want to know. Because then that forces them to be either really reasonable or expose them as that they're really making a declaration. Okay. Mm-hmm. The third thing, when they make a declaration, we capture their emotion, okay? We label it, and then we connect it to what they're experiencing. So in the scenario with Jeff, Jeff's you know, going on about how frustrated he is that these little loopholes and he's being babysat, and why does he have to do all this busy work And when he's already a great salesman? That's what I say. Gosh, you know what, Jeff? It sounds like you're just really frustrated that you have to do all of this work that actually distracts you from what you're being paid to do. And what you're being paid to do, you feel, is to sell. And so these things, you're kind of like saying, why should you support something that you can't really be on board with? Am I missing anything? Is that right? And now they're going, yeah, yeah. So you're okay. repeating that step to check in. Constantly I want that in. person to feel so understood that they don't know where to go. They're like, yeah. And by the understanding, it creates this little gap of like, well, if you understand me, you, you're going to agree with me. And if you don't, well, I don't know where to go with that. And so it's like, well, do you feel understood? Yeah, I feel understood. Okay. Well, do you want to know why these charts are so important? Why these papers are so important? <laughs> I would love that. Oh, good. Now there's some mutual understanding. Opened up the doors. Yeah. With that mutual understanding, then they can work toward a resolution. Right. If they're really not doing anything with that work other than babysitting the salespeople, the sales manager might say, you know what, since there's really nothing of value to this, I think I'm going to talk to my boss, Carl, and say, you know what, I don't need this anymore. With this guy, we're already on top of things. Since we're not using the data for anything else other than to babysit him, I don't need to babysit this guy. I think think he's going to be more productive. But the solutions don't present themselves until there's mutual understanding. If we try to issue a solution (laughs) prematurely to get rid of the problem, we're going to have a lot of more problems after that. Lots more. Ah, well, that's just a little taste, a little taste what's in the meatball, that, okay? That is a delicious little taste, let me tell you, <laughs> because there's a lot of richness in that. And it's based on sound psychological principles. The book, again, Confidence in Conflict by our friend Emil Harker. Email, tell, tell people where they can get this or how they can connect with you if they want to know more about this. If they want to learn more about this, I will give anyone a free book. All they have to do is what? email me. That's it. Just email me at, this is going to be weird, email at emilharker.com. Okay. Now, that is spelled E-M-I-L. That's H- the first name. It's, it kind of sounds like evil. Right, right. You got. <laughs> that's right. That's, that's how you get people to remember it, but it's that's E-M-I. Don't use a V, okay? He's not right. actually evil. Email Harker, H-A-R-K-E-R. There's a .com for that. And email at emailharker.com right. is your email address. And just send me, say, send me the Confidence in Conflict book, okay? 
and and you'll just give me your address. I'll interact with you, and I will make sure that you get um, a copy of this book. And then what I would hope wow. that you'll do in return is when you get this book, that you actually read it and share it with somebody. Talk to your boss. Talk to your manager and say, look, we could grow if we use these principles. And you're not going to leave them hanging, email because you provide training and support and you're a speaker and you're available to help people understand exactly what you've explained to us here today, plus all the other chapters. That's right. That's right. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us at Live On Purpose Radio again. Heck yeah. (laughs) It's been awesome. You guys have it from one of the masters of communication, Mr. Emil Harker. It's time now for all of us to go live on purpose. Did you get what you came for? Give yourself the gift of taking real action on what you realized today. Please share this episode with someone you know would value it and leave us a rating too. It's time now to live on purpose.